When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply with Mr. Nick Hudson. And last time we uh, we meant to talk about Panda and I don't think we got anywhere near it. And uh, so we're going to try again this time. And again, I have no idea if we're going to get anywhere near it, but it doesn't matter because it's my podcast and we can do whatever the fuck we want. So with that, Mr. Hudson, please introduce yourself, sir. Well, I, I think the, the brief introduction is Nick Hudson, chairman of Panda. Um. South African, hence the funny accent. Uh, but Panda is an international organization spanning many countries. We got going right at the beginning of the whole COVID crisis or the COVID malarkey, as I prefer to call it, uh, when we observed that there was a huge gap between the way the media was portraying the situation and the reality that was coming out of the early data. And ever since then, it's just been continued madness. Uh, you know, the media are a bunch of liars. The public health officials are in the pocket of Big Pharma. The whole thing has been completely ridiculous. We've broken every single rule of basic public health policy. All of the pandemic respiratory virus guidelines have been thrown in the trash, never consulted again after probably 100 years of uh, intellectual insight went into their preparation. And um, <clears throat> there's the censorship and the... Uh, continued media blackout for anybody who raises, raises a dissenting point of view, the complete destruction of science as a result. Censorship not just by the media and social media, but by scientific journals. You have to put the scientific part in inverted commas these days because, um, yeah, there's not much science going on there. Um, so it's been a, a crazy ride. Um, we're strong. We're growing. Uh, it's one-way traffic. People who come to us and read what we have to say and listen to what we have to say and become converts, become permanent converts, and there's no traffic in the other direction. So it's a battle that we'll ultimately win, but it's been slow and painful and difficult because of the um, the, me- the, the media circus and the, this crazy cancel culture, which I had another experience of just today. And, you know, our values as an organization at Panda we believe in open science. Science proceeds by conjecture and criticism. And so we put scientists and thinkers from diverse fields, a really multidisciplinary bunch, into the room. We thrash out the issues. We don't have to all agree. It's it's polite. It's engaging. Um, it sometimes gets heated, but always with respect. And we get to the answers. And we've done more research than many of these massively funded public health agencies because they haven't researched anything. They kind of just trumpet a bunch of narrative lines that could have been picked from a comic book. They're so bad. Um, Whether it's the cloth masks protect you from viruses or the ridiculous uh, fomite transmission story that has motivated so many of these non-pharmaceutical interventions or this incredible misrepresentation that's gone around these quasi-vaccines that are being flogged by these corrupt health agencies and their captured media organizations. 
Um, you know, it just that never ceases to astound me how little actual research into the real issues relating to both the medical and epidemiological issues of the uh, the, the virus and this epidemic, if there really is one, um, and the sociological issues around it, how little research is done into those things. Yeah. Is that, that was a long sentence, man. No, it's fine. No, it doesn't matter. No, it's, like I said, dude, it's fine. we can do whatever the hell we want. It's good. You know, I was, I was thinking, and for everybody listening today is Tuesday, March 8th, 2022, um, kind of concerning. It is kind of, there is like a weird, almost like, uh, almost like if you're shit faced and you know, your friends like snap out of it, you know, kind of smacks you and and you you come to and you're like, Oh man, I'm being that guy. It kind of seems like Putin invading Ukraine kind of just cracked the world out of it. And, you're, it, there's almost like a general sense that like this shit's over or it's ending. And it makes me think of, I think it was four days ago. Five, I don't know. My days run together. But Rochelle Walensky, who I believe is the head of the CDC or FDA, one of them, they're the same corrupt things. They're the same creatures. She, yeah. She's the director of the CDC. Perfect. And she came out and she was saying, I mean, it almost feels like an intentional gaslighting. She was like, mm-hmm. uh, she was like, we had too much optimism and too little caution. And she goes, and frankly, I think the public misunderstood it. The public thought that the science was settled and that science is black and white. And the reality is, is science is gray. And you're looking at this. You're looking at this and you're like, hold on. Hold on. This, this is like, it's a insane. great trolling right there. It's yeah. insane. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. And you, you hear her talking about this and, um, and they're like, you know, we, we didn't know that the vaccines weren't going to be this way. You know, we, there's really no data to say that otherwise. But there was a coordinated campaign across every form of communication to silence dissent. And to me, I, I you know, right now I'm listening to a book, um, The Devil's Chessboard, about like the Dulles brothers and setting up the CIA. And it's uh, kind of there's as most World War II or post-World War II books, it always kind of starts out with right at the end of the war in Europe and how all the Nazis start betraying each other and because they all want to get the ticket to the United States. None of them want to go to the Soviet Union. They all want that Uncle Sam cushy job. They don't want to end up in a gulag, and they all start betraying each other. These guys that swore allegiance to Zafazaland, and all of a sudden they turn into backstabbers. And um, that kind of seems like what's going to be the very beginning now it seems like and i've been saying this like a broken record for months probably over a year now that the dam is breaking and i think it's i think it's broken now i don't think we've seen the full deluge yet but i think it's honestly i think i think putin broke it for and not even going to get into that whole conflict but it feels like it's broken now and so to me and this is what i've been saying with doctors for the last year is you guys have, you know, you have guys like Dr. McCullough and Dr. Malone who do a brilliant job at, and Dr. Freed kind of poking holes in the dam. But there are very few, I'd say maybe Dr. Urso, Dr. Merrick, Dr. Hodkinson. McCullough. Well, I was going to say there's a, there's a very few who have the other side and it's not necessarily breaking down the dam. Uh-huh. It's going this can't go unpunished. We can't just go, All right. me and Mr. Right. Hudson told you so. I'm like, no, no, uh. no. At the end of World War II, you didn't go, told you so, told you there are concentration camps. No, 
There were the Nuremberg trials, specifically <clears throat> held in the city of Nuremberg because that's where they did all of the propaganda films. There has to be something, and this isn't your expertise, and I actually I didn't plan on talking about this, but what are your thoughts on that? How there has to be punishment and not punishment for punishment's sake. This this cannot happen again because they did it so easily. They so easily steamrolled all opposition. You now have you now have kids. I think an article came out yesterday. It might have been your Twitter. I was I was looking at your Twitter at like four in the morning, and uh, I don't know where it, it might have been yours. But it was something about like how now like kids in elementary school have to take like they have to basically at the beginning of like the school year they got to take like heart tests to see if they can participate in PE and rate uh, and uh, recess. This is the vaccinated ones. Yes. Yes, but no one wants to address it. They're saying because we're seeing in a we're seeing a, a surprising uptick in like ch- in in uh, in elementary like myocardial infarctions, and it's like there's never been elementary myocardial infarctions. Yeah, this has like we cannot just put this under the rug and go, well, that was that was bad. We can't let that happen again. This has to be the veil has to be pulled back. These people have to be pointed out, and they have to be tried. And there needs to be a new solidification of 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 medical ethics and a, like a global Nuremberg 2.0. I know it's, <laughs> I'm a broken record, but we can't not we cannot not punish all of them. So yeah, yeah okay. So a couple of things there. I mean, a uh, lot lot to pick up on there. A personal note: I'm not a fan of retributive justice. Yeah, no, I don't think there's any benefit in punishing just to yeah. punish. I don't. I really yeah. don't. So I'm interested in institutional reform, and I'm interested in reparation um, because there has been criminal wrong wrongdoing here. Um, <clears throat> I also don't think we are at the end. Uh, I see this as one act in a broader info war. Um, World War Three started a while ago. Um, and this this has largely been an information war, been heavily propagandized from the get go with co- and complete drivel. You know, scare people, their cognitive capacities decline, and they will begin to accept the most ridiculous things. And most of the people in most of the world accepted plenty of ridiculous things. When they look back on this, I don't know how they're going to rationalize it all, but there will be a process of rationalization. But I think for a great many people, it's just kind of dawning on them now that they've been misled and rather shamefully allowed themselves to be misled. Um, and that will begin to <clears throat> force us to ask questions about the the values and nature of our societies, the cultures that we have fostered and encouraged in, in recent decades. Now, I'm in favour of all of that. I, I, you know, when, and when I say institutional reform, I'm not talking about the pharmaceutical industry and the public health regulators and a couple of university medical faculties. I'm talking about basically everything. Education more broadly has been corrupted. Media has been corrupted. We, we are the churches have been corrupted. You know, there's really I, I can't look to an institution across any country in the Western world that I look at and I say, I really admire that. There are exceptions. You know, one university here or there that has put up a very brave fight. But, I mean, there are real exceptions. For the most part, you just see this 
horrible cesspool of bad epistemology, bad value systems, the wrong people pushed into leadership positions, this sheer mediocrity. These these people who are so incapable of of debating anybody or, or having any kind of scientific or philosophical discussion whatsoever that the only thing they can do is shout misinformation, misinformation, and hope that you cancel because there's just no way that they would be able to hold their own and defend their positions. They don't know why they hold the positions. They, they, they don't understand the kind of science that would have to be done to support those positions, let alone you know, put themselves in a position of being able to point to it. Um, so that's where we are. We've seen uh, it, it, it does feel like a civilization in collapse. And for me, the epitome of it all is the supernational organizations. I mean, everything, every single aspect of the belief systems of these clowns at Davos, of the, you know, Panjandra at um, the, the, the World Health Organization, at the UN, at UNICEF, at any of these Geneva organizations, these absolute Muppets running the, the Bretton Woods organizations, the IMF and the, the World Bank, the, you know, their ideas about economics, they're, they're so unhinged, so deeply unhinged. And you just look at this vast edifice of lunacy and mediocrity occupying the same space. And it, the, I, I stagger at the kind of job that's required to reassert some decent values, some decent epistemology, some decent science and culture that somebody can look up to. It's shocking. So on the note of like uh, punishment, I I am with you. I don't really, I don't really see any benefit in punishment for i think there are definitely exceptions to serial killers i think you kind of just got to remove those people but when i look at things like punishment i think of you know you know like a drunk driver who maybe t-bones a car kills someone's kid or whatever now that let's say let's say it's me i'm 31 i think i'm a fairly well-adjusted person let's say i make a mistake you know we all we all fuck up maybe you walk in on your partner cheating on you or you find out your parents just died. You go get just, you know, blind drunk and you hop in a car because you want to go to McDonald's and you T-bone someone. That doesn't necessarily make you a, a bad person, right? That makes you someone who who fucked up and where 99% of the time you would have just passed out drunk and woke up with a hangover. This one time you decide to go get McDonald's and next thing you know, you killed you killed a family in a minivan. And I, I see that argument. And then let's say you're put in jail. And let's say you're put in jail for, you know, 20 years. Do you, is that someone that really needs 20 years to be reformed? No, I don't think so. However, I look at the other side of it. And you might have someone go, no, I agree with you. This person, it's a shitty situation. They don't need to be put in a, in a cage for 20 years. And I, I would agree with that. But the, the other argument is, that's not fair to the people who lost a daughter or lost a family member who was just going to McDonald's at two in the morning as well and got T-boned and killed. If someone, if the punishment has to come down, someone's being punished, someone lost a family member. 
Now, there are people out there who in the future, should they lose family members as well? And I think the answer is no. And the way you do that is you make an example. You go, yeah, I mean, listen, it sucks that we're going to put this guy in jail for 20 years. It's it's the end of a life, really. 30 years, whatever. Mm. But that now makes the news. If that deters the next guy from getting blind drunk and going out and getting McDonald's and killing someone, which, you know, where do you come down? And it's I, I think you got to side with the people who didn't do anything wrong. Why should they be in danger of getting T-boned by a drunk guy? It's it's the lesser of evil. So I look at something like that where I look at, you know, like where does the death penalty come? And I, I, I do. I think that you should really just lock every if even if you're a serial killer, I'll backpedal on what I said earlier. I really think that you should just put him in a cell forever. I don't think that we're God. I don't think that we can choose who dies. Now, let's say you take that one step further. Let's say you take a serial killer. Let's say, you know, let's say there's a serial killer out there who kills kids, just only kids. If that guy is electrocuted in an electric chair or gets lethal injection, that might deter the next serial killer who thinks, okay, you know, I don't think so. No, no, no. And I don't know if it is entirely, but you get what I'm saying is like, it doesn't necessarily make the punishment correct, but if it deters innocent people in the future from getting hurt, it's less incorrect to, to punish that person than it is to let the, the next potential victim. So my point of saying all of this is Mm -hmm. I'm with you. I don't think there's really any, I don't think there's really any benefit in punishing Fauci just to punish Fauci. However, if we're going to look at, let's say, just even on the low end, let's say there's 23,000 deaths from the vaccine in the United States without even extrapolations, whatever, or, you know, 700,000 people with uh, myocarditis or whatever. It, I think that it's our duty to make sure that in 10, 20, 50, 70 years, there isn't another generation of kids who have to take EKGs so they can go play dodgeball. And if that means that Fauci or Walensky have to be punished or jailed or something, which one is, you know, you, you kind of have to make that decision. You go, they don't deserve to be jailed because this is just retribution versus is that, does that outweigh the, the next, the next planned demic that's going to happen in 50 years? Do you get what I'm saying? Like, there's really no good way to go about it, but I think you have to come down on the side of the next potential victims and how do you deter that? That's that's kind of my argument is I'm with you. I don't think there's uh-huh. any point in just punishing to punish. I, I don't. I think it's – I think we, we kind of have to evolve past that as a species. We, look, we, we, we're in, entering into a very scary time um, – <clears throat> This is, which is an interesting thing to say as the pandemic fear is receding. Um, but what is scary about it for me is that at the moment, I don't think our court systems are working in most countries. No, not at all. I mean, I, I, I've seen some incredibly bad rulings, which where, the, where the, you know, what the judge feels is the science because the judge is as propagandized as the, the average citizen, you know. The judge is sure that this is this is scientific. This represents scientific knowledge because I've heard so many people say it, and it was on CNN. Um, and so you get a, a ruling, you know, and no amount of 
scientific evidence will kind of stand in its way. There are also lots of signs of uh, political influence in in the courtrooms across the Western world. Um, that seems very clear to me. You know, they're, they're, they're reluctant to... So there's some very clear-cut cases. This, this business of force vaccinating um, or, or mandating the vaccination of people who've recovered from COVID, who have natural immunity, there isn't a scientific leg to stand on in that argument. It's complete bullshit. Um, <clears throat> and courtroom after courtroom around the world have ruled... Uh, they're saying that this no, this is completely defensible. And the reality is that, you know, I've, I've been saying now for a while, this, this, this kind of canned phrase of overwhelming scientific evidence for the safety and efficacy of the vaccines and their role in reducing transmission and therefore making workplaces safer, there is no high-quality evidence for any one of those four claims, efficacy, safety, transmission, and workplace safety, you know. Um, it, it, it's, as for, you know, in fact, I will go as far as saying that the only evidence that is there is fraudulent or severely biased. Because I've never seen anything that passes the scratch test. You know, once you go digging, you always find a problem. I mean, here in South Africa, we have a life insurance, life and, sorry, a health insurance company called Discovery Health. And I, I somebody showed me um, a, a, a pro-vaccine chart in their annual report from this year. And I was astounded because the deception involved, the, 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 the frank, misleading, lying with statistics that happened in that annual report took my breath away because it was so simple and so obvious, you know. They, you know, they really have to be assuming that the readers of that report are as stupid as stupid can be. What was it? It was a pie chart showing the percentage of deaths that had occurred amongst unvaccinated people in South Africa and amongst vaccinated people in South Africa. And then a little sliver for partially vaccinated. And there were a couple of footnotes. The one footnote said, they gave you the duration of time that they were looking over, which included the 80% odd of the pandemic for which there were no vaccines available in South Africa. Okay, so all of those people were unvaccinated deaths, right? <laughs> and then the second thing was there was a footnote saying unvaccinated or vaccination status unknown. And the majority of COVID deaths in South Africa are vaccination status unknown. So it was two massive deceptions in one little simple pie chart, which then means that it discredits everything else that that organization has ever said about COVID, because that is such, it is such a base deception. So if you look at something like that, and we're kind of talking about deception, how do you prevent this in the future? Is there any other way but... but uh, okay, so so the biggest thing for me... Not to keep trying to back you into that corner. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I don't know why. No. I'm, it's so just no, no one ever, yeah, no one ever really likes to talk about how do we prevent this from happening again. They just, I get it. Everyone's obsessed with how do we end it now, which is good. I'm trying to look at into the future. How do we make, we got to put out a fire now, but in the future, yeah. it's like, we got to make sure we install fire insulation, make sure we have fire extinguishers nearby. We got to make sure it doesn't happen again. So yeah. that's, that's kind of why I keep bringing it up. Sorry. Uh, okay. So 
I keep coming back to the most fundamental thing that has gone wrong is that the notion that centralization is consistent with a flourishing society has become current and it's a completely false notion. What was the first history thing? has proven this time and time again? What was the you first know? thing you said? The notion centralization. Okay. Yeah, this is the big thing. There are now many people in this world who believe that, and, and this is globalism. It's uh, the, the the supernationals. It's the um, you know the, the people who would put more power at the level of federal government and less at state government in the United States. The people who would like to see the World Health Organization, according to the treaty that is hurtling towards signature by a hundred and something nations the month after next, um, would be able to basically take over the executive management of countries and uh, overrule their constitutions whenever they decided there was a pandemic. Yeah, that's the kind of thinking that is current. This kind of world where there are global crises that admit only global solutions. So we at Davos, at Geneva, at New York, have to be the people who do it because you cretins out there in the broader, wider world are A, not clever enough and B, not able to know the things that we know, you know, not able to do the things that we do. This, this centralization meme has become incredibly current and increasingly current over recent decades and that thing has to be fought on an, on an intellectual level and on a legal level. We need to go back to the sets of provisions that have often been utilized to prevent the ossification of power hierarchies, antitrust legislation. Now, why have we stopped applying antitrust legislation? The reason it was possible for Twitter and Facebook and YouTube to promote a stack of lies and to censor the truth is because there aren't any competing organizations. We need to cut the heads off those things. Well, you got to think. It's not a good enough excuse to say, ah, oh, but it's the new technology, it's the internet, it's network effects, there's nothing you can do about it. Nonsense. Networks have always existed on many levels in society. You can describe them on sort of many dimensions. And what we do is prevent the power hierarchies that those networks give rise to from ossifying and becoming oppressive. There's always that tension. And we've taken the foot off the gas when it comes to um, breaking down hierarchies that are in danger of ossifying. When I look at something like how come there aren't antitrust laws, I really think the only the only rational explanation you can have is, isn't it like in uh, I'm friends with a guy that you like that used to do business in China for several years, and he was like, mm -hmm. when you're in China, you're basically the law is set up so that you're kind of always breaking the law, but they don't they don't they don't punish all of it, right? It'd be like uh, it'd be like if in the United States uh, a, a law was that you couldn't drink out of water bottles while doing podcasting. I'm going to get tried if I go out and kill somebody or go rob a bank, but they're really not going to come punish me. Now, however, yeah. if maybe someone doesn't like Tommy, they're going to go, oh, you're, you're, uh, you're drinking that water bottle. So uh, we're either going to come arrest you or maybe you just stop interviewing Nick Hudson. So yeah. I think about any trust laws like that. You have people in the government 
who are able to just, I mean, they were doing it in the early 1900s with Teddy Roosevelt, right? They did it with Bill Gates in the 90s. They could break these things up tomorrow. They, I'm sure the legislation's <laughs> sitting on the shelf. But, and this is just my own Machiavellian mind, I would go, I think you bring in the heads of Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Snapchat, Reddit, and you go, we are going to break you guys up and we're going to remove your your stranglehold on the uh, on the population and you you know kind of shutting out other competing businesses or maybe you we can't do it because we're the government and there's the first amendment that pesky thing maybe you guys i don't know maybe you guys push the vaccine line and suppress the ivermectin line and then well why is the government saying that well well then you have behind that you have who who are the biggest lobbyists i mean i think above defense contractors are big pharma so that's the only logic for me about why they aren't being broken up. It's not because people say, oh, people in the government are stupid. They're not stupid. They're competent and they're malicious. The Nazis were not stupid. The Japanese were not stupid. Evil, not stupid. Taliban is not stupid. They're evil, but they're not stupid. Same with the Viet Cong. So when I see this going on and we go, why is it not being decentralized? It's because it's being held over the head. Do We're going to break you up tomorrow or we look the other way. You guys can rake in profits hand over fist. Maybe you push this line. Maybe you, you know, push that line. So, but I, I guess the question that arises, so how do we break it up? How do we remove this, like you said, this meme of centralization? If it seems that the very centralized thing has ossified its ability to centralize. The monopoly has become a monopoly on monopolies, if that makes sense. Yeah, look, I mean... Historically, those situations are resolved with violence. Yeah, that's which kind of brings me back to like my earlier thing is like, so how do you prevent us from getting at a point in this again in the future? Who knows? Maybe peace is out of the question. Maybe it's just it's now it's just a matter of when there's violence. I don't know. Yeah. Look, and I, I think that has to do with, uh, you know, what I, the, one of the first things I said was that it's one way traffic. People wake up. Yes. They don't unwaken. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And and so the, the mass is growing. People are waking up. And at some point, the threat of violence becomes such that there's capitulation. Got it. Um, and you see, you, you do see it. I mean, there, there, there's a mad sort of climb down coming. You mentioned Walensky. She, she staged numerous of these climbs down. Climbs down. What's the plural of a climb down? Yeah, climbs down in in um, recent days, and it, it's you know it is gobsmacking for those of us who sat there saying for two years what she's now acknowledging, having said exactly the opposite for two years. Well, in her case, it was a little less than that, a year and a bit. But um, you know it. it it's clear that that there is an unraveling of the narrative. But what I mentioned earlier, which is that we're involved in a information war, and this is one of the acts in that war, one of the battles in that war. We've moved on to the next battle where there's an equal amount of misinformation around. I mean, I haven't seen a in, in mainstream media. I haven't seen an honest column inch about the Ukrainian crisis. Oh my god! Uh, yeah. A very complex situation, and you can listen to four or five uh, different. Uh, you know, people who are actually skilled in geopolitical analysis uh, talk about this 
admire everything that they say at the same time as you realize that they're all contradicting each other. That's how complicated the situation is. But what's presented in media is this very canned, cartoonish sort of idea that this this absolute little muppet ballroom dancer actor who was clearly a plant of the U.S. deep state. It's openly, you know, there's an openly suddenly a hero who's going into battle. What a joke. It's what a complete joke, you know. It's not even and, a conspiracy. Uh, you know, it's a CIA plan. It, it, it's just ridiculous. The, the ghost of Grozny completely manufactured stories. Almost every single image that we see in is, is faked oh, yeah. or comes from an entirely different event. There's just no truth in it. You know, the, 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 I, would, I would give it like 99% of what is said about the Ukraine situation is completely false, utterly false, is devoid, devoid of any connection whatsoever to the truth. And I'm not even a geopolitical expert. I can just see it because I've watched the COVID propaganda. You can detect it. You can smell it from a country mile. When, when the New York Times and, um, and The Guardian are both banging on the table saying the same thing and shrieking and beating their breasts and making everybody wear yellow and blue face masks, you know with 100% certainty that they are talking absolute crap. Yes. It's, it's, it makes me think of like right when the election happened, right, November 3rd, 2020. And immediately if you do an episode – on YouTube back when I was on YouTube and you wrote election or you wrote fraud or you wrote stolen or whatever, you get the little blue label and it'd be like the election, blah, blah, blah. And I remember I got a, my first strike on YouTube for interviewing a CIA veteran who was just talking about like the possibility of the election being manipulated. And I was like, well, this is a dangerous precedent. And like a month later, I got my first strike for talking about COVID, which ultimately would be my death knell and get me kicked off YouTube. But I remember making videos last April and I was saying we're seeing the beginning of a precedent about it's not necessarily about the election or COVID. It's the ability to clamp down on things. So let's, let's put that aside. And I remember saying this as soon as the, the invasion of Ukraine was happening. At first, I was like, fuck Putin. We got to stop. And then, like, I kind of got this, like, hair on my neck. And I was like, remove, remove Putin, Ukraine, remove COVID, ivermectin, remove election. Let's just break it down to what are the meta themes going on right now? Like right now, we're doing a podcast about Panda and COVID, but what are we really doing? It's me, the host, talking to you, a guest, and we're using English, and there's video and audio. So let's break down to the most meta themes. So what are the most meta themes we're seeing with the invasion of Ukraine? Overwhelming one side, the entire edifice, the monolith, right? Every corporation, every every method of speech and communication, the public line, changing your profile picture, I stand with, and the outright demonization, as Walensky said, this, they thought it was black and white. It's really gray. But now we're seeing the black and white, Putin bad, Ukraine good. There is no other way around this, and they need U.S.-NATO intervention for us to help. All these corporations are going to cut off Russia. They're basically going to cancel Russia. And you can't question otherwise. And just like when the vaccine came out, if individuals like me or yourself or Dr. Malone or Dr. McCullough started talking about, are these entirely safe? They jump down your throat and say, do you want people to die? And you say, no, of course I don't want people to die, but I think we maybe need to look at everything. So right now, if you just even entertain the thought, float the idea that let's just look at it from Russia's side. Immediately, oh, so you're for the shelling of women and children? 
No, of course not. No, no one in their right mind is. But I just want to see what's going on. And you're right. The ghost of Kiev manufactured uh, Snake Island. They're all dead. They were taken. They're taken hostage. Those images of Zelensky. They're from 2019. That uh, that helicopter that got shot down by the surface to air missile the other day. And they're like, these are the Ukrainians saying we kill him in the air or kill him on the ground. That's from 2021. So yeah. it's the same so, meta theme. Okay, so let, let's pull a couple of those things together yeah. um, and, and draw the parallels. Whenever there's an attempt to polarize the debate, an obvious attempt to polarize debate, you are dealing with propaganda because the, the real world... Where, where there's any debate happening and problem to be solved, you are dealing with complexity and nuance is required. If there isn't nuance around, then really. you probably are dealing with a fabricated problem, a false crisis. So let's, and let's, let's draw the parallels. You know, if, when we came out saying, hold on a second, the Diamond Princess cruise ship shows us that this is not something to wet the bed about. COVID denier! You know, okay. Um, then, then it became when we when you say no. Listen, wait a second. The data is not showing that lockdowns are having any beneficial impact in terms of official COVID deaths. You know, no correlation, no relationship. What do you get? Covidiot. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, then we say, wait a second. The manufacturer trials are full of signs of manipulation and and scientific fraud. Anti-vaxxer. What do you get if you're a climate scientist who says, hold on a second, those charts don't look right. I don't think that we're going to destroy the earth. It's a bit more carbon dioxide. You're a climate denier. What do you get if you say, is it really as simple as Putin's gone mad and Zelensky's a hero and that's all we need to know about the Ukraine? You get, you're a Putin lover or you pro-Putin, you know? It's... It, it, it's whenever you see these labels being thrown around and the, 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 the nuance of a complex situation being thrown out in favor of a simplistic narrative, you know you're dealing with a propaganda situation and you need to pick that whole situation up and toss the media interpretations of it away and begin to engage with, first of all, with humility, because you know you're dealing with a complex thing. Mm. Like, I, I, don't, I don't really have sides or any kind of particular passion about the, you know, what the end point should be there, because I, I don't understand the situation. I, 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 yeah. From, yeah. From what I can tell, nobody does. Yeah. I have no, I have no dog in the fight. It's not like I'm biased. But, because... I, but, I, but I can see the propaganda and this uh, relentless drive to escalate. And to use the event, what's totally clear, because they switched, you know, to use the event as cover for the collapse of the COVID lockdown vaccine narrative, mm. which we long ago identified was a crock of nonsense. Um, and this is the continuation of, the, you know, there's no question in my mind that Ukraine and the inflammation and exacerbation, the deliberate exacerbation um, of the Ukrainian situation it's just this is just simply a continuation of the same information war. Yeah. The, the, an, another step in the direction of centralists of globalists uh, trying to you know usher in their ridiculous great resets and new world orders and fourth industrial revolutions mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. 
It, ab- uh, it absolutely baseless nonsense. It absolutely is. It's uh yeah. Isn't it the, was it the Klasowitz quote? Uh, War is just a continuation of politics by other means. When yeah. I first saw this, I thought I was like, it's the end of COVID. And I think I did an episode this past Sunday, uh-huh. and it dawned on me. I was yeah. like, this is the continuation of COVID by other means. It's the same. Yes, it's it's exactly. the same beast. Yeah. It's the yeah. it's the caterpillar turning into the butterfly. It's the same yeah. creature, just different phenotypes and genotypes. So, mm. yeah. So like. Again, today's Tuesday, March 8th, 2022. So for anyone, because I get like you, like I don't have a dog in the fight with vaccines. I have all of my vaccines. Despite doing podcasts and being an anti-vaxxer, during that time, I actually went and got a tetanus booster because I had cut myself on a piece of rusty metal. And I was like, oh, I got to be careful. So people that do think, oh, you're just using this as a cover saying I don't really care. First of all, I truly don't care. I've never left the United States. I don't think that they'll do a draft. I don't think they do. So I really don't care. That being said, there is something in the future that is as alien to as Ukraine and Russia is as seemingly alien to COVID and and anti-vaxxers. There's another event. Maybe it's in 2023, 2025. There's another event. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's maybe it's 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 Great Britain. Uh, is no longer allowing cyber attack. Yeah, yeah, whatever it is, it's, it's a cyber attack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can see it coming. They've done their event two hundred one for cyber attacks in December in Israel. They're talking about it all the time. They're trying to blame the Russians before it's even happened. There's stories being released about undersea cables being cut by Russian submarines. You yeah. know, it's, um, but, so, and uh, yeah, it's, it's coming. It's going to be handed to you on a platter. I don't know if it's going to be global or local or one city or whatever. You know, are they going to try and take out the internet in New York? Uh, but, I, I don't know. So yeah, no, right? That's Clash Schwab's right cyber polygon. But my point is, cyber is, polygon. My point is, is there is another template. Just like right now, there is host yeah. talking to guest, speaking English with audio and video. There's another thing coming. And so where are the most of the chips made? Taiwan. Now we could say we have to, the U.S. has to invade Taiwan because of cyber polygon and we need to restore chips. And if you're against U.S. troops and a bunch of defense contractors going in there, you're anti-American. That doesn't exist right now. That, that, that public consciousness idea doesn't exist right now. But it will exist or something like it where the lines will be – just, you're just filling it with Mad Libs. We're going to have – we need to go into Taiwan and we need to liberate it so we can overcome Cyber Polygon. Everyone's going to be on one side. They're going to change their picture to I stand with Taiwan. And if you're against uh, going there to get all of their chips versus producing our own, you're going to go the, – the anti-vaxxer stance is, or the pro-Putin stance is going to be, can't we start manufacturing our chips here? And they're going to say, shut up, Nazi – it's the same thing, and you're seeing these patterns again and again to where everyone takes one side. And as you said, when you're dealing with something so black and white, right? When you're dealing with something so black and white, it has to be wrong. And I think you said it well because I, in my limited mind, my logic is is when the media, when there's one lockstep message, my mind is to automatically believe the opposite. But I think that's flawed in itself, and I think you and uh all right yeah sorry everybody about that bathroom break um because i have the bladder of a child and mr hudson has the patience of a saint i don't so yeah so but what it is is it's the the, it's the very template of 
out of nowhere a conflict arises, COVID, Ukraine, Taiwan, Cyber Polygon, sides are drawn and they're given to you. You're told what the, what the right side is. And if there's any nuance or second guessing of the side, you are instantly an ally of the evil side. You should be mm-hmm. censored. And the justification for your censorship is because it's for the security and safety of all of us. And yeah. in that name, measures will be passed that will either strip your freedom and or harm you physically. And it will be done in the name of your best interest. And by the time the dam breaks, a new set of conflicts will arise to make you forget about the last one. And it's going onwards yeah. So it seems like the Great Reset's kind of rolling out successfully. Yeah, well, I mean, I, no, I mean, it, it'll never be a success, uh, you know, for re- for the reasons that I pointed out. This cent- centralization never works, and, and it might be worthwhile just just talking about why that is the case. Sure. You know, the, the the myth that they cling to is that, you know, this time is different. Because we have more information, the Internet of Things, big data, and so on. You know, the thing that Stalin was missing when he tried to centralize the economy of the Soviet Union was data. He didn't have enough data. Otherwise, he would have been able to do a perfect job. That's, that's a complete intellectual travesty, that idea right there. Because the problem is not when it comes, when it, when it comes to managing a complex system, the problem is not a lack of information. The, the problem is lacking the explanations that tell you what to do, how to make decisions and in the face of that complexity. And more data is not the, the answer, just the characteristics. Of the, if you knew the position of every single electron in the atmosphere, it, it wouldn't help you to predict the weather. To do that, you need to come up with better explanations at a different level of scale for frontal systems and, you know, the rotation of the Earth and the Coriolis effect and lots of different things that, that then give you the ability, statistical recognition at higher level domains, um, the interpretation of past information and the identification of statistical regularities. You know, the loads of scientific insight giving rise to explanations which are, which are not perfect. They're not right all the time, and they will inevitably be replaced by better explanations. But simply producing more data and expecting that you can shove them into a so-called AI and get an answer for how to manage an epidemic, how to run society, how to control the climate, how to manage the immune system, whatever. That's an infantile idea. Absolutely infantile. And uh, it's been proven wrong more times than you know than, than history case count. Um, and that that is the the basic epistemological flaw in the thinking of the Davos set. This this hubristic, arrogant thinking of theirs that they they know what the problems are and how to solve them. And oh, they all just happen to be global, which means we have to have all the power. Um, uh, and I'm not even sure that all the globalists really believe that. I think I think the rank and file globalists do. I'm sure the CEO of the health insurer that I mentioned earlier, who's an enthusiastic Davos attendee, uh, uh, partner organization of the World Economic Forum, and so on. You know, I, I, I'm sure he believes that kind of level of nonsense. 
But at the top, where the real levers of power are, I think there's some people who know very well that they're talking absolute nonsense and are doing it purely because it involves the accretion of power for them. It's a control issue. Um, and, and, and the scam of 4IR, Fourth Industrial Revolution and the Great Reset, the scam involved there is really no different from the scam of COVID or the scam of climate change or the scam of the Ukrainian conflict. They're all, you know, it, it's mumbo-jumbo. It's complete nonsense. And the, the nonsense is there to polarize the population, to scare the population, to um, provide excuses for, as you say, suspension of liberties and democratic process, inhibition of free speech, um, various constraints on civil society, which would not be possible under conditions of more sanity, less fear. You read my mind. I was going to say, do you think that they're true believers or do you think that they are using yeah. it as a facade? And I imagine it's it's a mixture. It's, again, the book I'm reading right now, The Devil's Chessboard, opens with a quote and it's kind of about like CIA and it's like, it's like, my good man, it was like the professional never pulls the trigger. What, what you mm. have is like a target that you don't want. The businessmen know they want the target gone, but they don't want to get their hands dirty. Yeah. You have the radical who truly believes it's for the greater good and doesn't look at the business side of it. And then you have the intermediary, and that's the CIA. So they find the big business interest. We'll put you in t touch with the, the assassin, but we're not getting – the businessmen are going to remain unnamed. The professional CIA, we're not going to do it. You get the radical who truly believes what they're doing it. They carry it out. They're also the fall guy. And that's how you carry this out. And it's, a, it's supposed to encapsulate the Dulles brothers, who I'm speaking out of my ass about because I've been reading this book for two days and now think I'm a genius. But that's, I think, what is what we're probably seeing. You're going to have the very enthusiastic, we have to go to yeah, Davos, World Economic Forum. This is for the betterment of man, transcendence, climate change. I think you guys have the guys at the very top that know it's all horseshit, but it's very well-crafted horseshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, very much so. The, guy, the guys at the bottom are interesting cats because they're, I mean, they're by and, large, by and large bitter people. That's what I've come to realize. There's this sort of really second-rate sort of associate professor at one of the local universities in, the, in the, the city that I live in, Cape Town, who's been a relentless uh, denigrator of Panda. It's quite comical. He sits there with like, a, I don't know, 200 followers on a Twitter account lobbying <laughs> insults at us for two years like an obsessive person you know and it's very amusing i i just blocked him long ago because i i, I didn't want to have the temptation of wasting my time responding to him but um the interesting thing about that cat you know what i learned about his psychology here he is he's, he's he, this is a man who's not done anything of use to man or beast ever in his entire life he's not he hasn't done a commercial thing he hasn't started a business um he hasn't you know he hasn't created anything he lectures students, sorry for them, you know, that's that's it. And he lectures them in some theory that is of no value to man and beast, you know. Um, and they love this moment. They've kind of got a they they've kind of got a sense of power, although they're being completely manipulated themselves. They have no power, you know. They don't they don't choose what to say, they get told what to say. Mm -hmm. Um and uh he's got this sense of power. And 
this kind of visceral enjoyment of lording it over people. And, you know, now's the moment we're locking everybody down and we're going to be heroes for saving everybody from the, the deadly airborne Ebola. It's a moment of drama in an insignificant little life. Yeah. And those people are legion. And that's why they rush from the one episode that will permit the kind of, you know, the, the destruction of all the noble things that they cannot be. Yeah. yeah so it's, it's they, they want to, they don't want to just, you know, they don't want to come in there and try and de-escalate Ukraine and Russia and see if there's maybe some pragmatic solution to be found. No, that like Putin to be assassinated and, you know, the, off they go. Tanks lined up and missiles and yeah, lots of money thrown at it. And we need to make a huge performance about the Ukrainian refugees and say nothing about the Russians who've been beaten up for what is it, eight years or something like that in or, or all eastern the, Ukraine. Or all the anti-war protesters in Russia that are getting rounded up right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that, yes. You know, yeah. That's that's exactly the right kind of point to make. They're just not going to say anything about that. And by the way, they're also not going to say anything about the mass starvation going on in Madagascar, which makes the Ukrainian situation look like a children's picnic. What is going you on know, in Madagascar? Yeah. Teach me. Okay, so Madagascar is an island nation off the east coast of Africa. Um, very poor country. Quite a quite a spectacular place. Um, you know, that's where all the lemurs are. They've got their own little uh, mammals that um, uh, don't exist anywhere else. And um, it's it's got a very uh, differentiated climate. And in the southern part of uh, Madagascar, there's it's not a it's not a uh, it's a there's a there's a kind of seasonal labor story that goes on, but. Lockdown has basically shattered the economy of that country. And as a result of the lockdown, not, you know, how, when, when it is spoken about in media, which is very rare, rarely, you know, you don't, you're not going to see it on the front page of the New York Times tomorrow. Um, when it's spoken about, they try to attribute it all to climate change, but it's a lockdown and use story. Kid, there's, no, there's been no significant fluctuation in rainfall in the affected provinces. But... Um, <clears throat> If, you know, there's a, a, a massive um, humanitarian catastrophe going on there right now. And it's not like it was yesterday. I mean, this has been going on for a while. Common in, column inches received zero because you can't scare or drive the drama with the tale of starving black people on an island off the coast of Africa. That's just not going to get these Muppets exercised, right? So they don't use it. It is by far the biggest story here. I mean, many more people are going to die as a result of the lockdown in Madagascar than have died globally from COVID, attributed to COVID. Many more, just in one country. And it's not even remotely, I didn't know about it until two minutes ago. Yeah. Well, that's, the, uh, you know, that's, that's what is at stake there, you know. Um, now, hopefully I'm wrong. But the point is that a threat that's much worse than COVID or Ukraine. Because the Ukrainian situation, you know, the, the, the danger of that situation is entirely owing to the, the situation being hyped and escalated deliberately by these globalist clowns, these deep state clowns. So 
you know, you look at this in, in kind of, you, you want to pinch yourself. You want to wake up from this alternate reality where the information is so distorted and misleading and taking people away from reality. And, and these little ac- academics, you've got their moment in the spotlight, their 200 Twitter followers and, yeah, their mask, their little mask that they wear makes them feel important. These little guys, they don't know anything about Madagascar. They don't know anything about Ukraine. They, they, they couldn't find it on a map a week ago. Yeah. And now they suddenly think Zelensky is the hero. Now we got to go invade. Hero in the world since whatever. Napoleon, Caesar, you know, take your pick. Um, it, it just staggers. It, may, it does make me think of, you know, kind of on the notion of like, the importance of not doing decentralization. Maybe we have to approach it the same way. We have to approach the problem in, in, in an undecentralized way instead of this is just kind of a thought experiment. We have to approach it. You and I have to approach it in an undecentralized way. So instead of saying it's it's all World Economic Forum Davos, which it is, but maybe we have to go with the individual. And, and I think that's what you brought up earlier perfectly. These are unhappy people. These are miserable people. They, you know, it's, you hate, you like the reason you hate when you see someone like your exact age and they're in really good shape is because what you see in them is what you could be and what you deep down know you could be. If you could just wake up a little earlier and hit the gym, right? Or when you yeah. see someone that went out and created something, what, maybe yeah. a podcast, maybe Panda, maybe you be start making music in your own room and 10 years later, you're number one on iTunes. What, what yeah. it really is, is you're seeing someone who tapped into the potential that exists within us all and through hell and, and harrowing conditions, they, they turned that coal into a diamond. And instead of acknowledging that you could be a diamond, instead of putting the work in to become a diamond, or instead of addressing the reason why you haven't become a diamond, it's much easier to say, fuck that person, they're a piece of shit, because you pull them down, and you don't have to address those internal problems. So yeah, it's people who have never done anything for anybody. They've never, but now they get to be a Medal of Honor war hero in their mind by ratting on restaurants who have more than whatever the COVID lockdown says you can have by by screaming at someone and saying, you're not you're a pro Putin puppet. You don't stand with Ukraine. They get to do this shit because they get a shortcut to being a diamond without putting in the work. They get to be they get to pat themselves on the back and say, we censored that anti-vaxxer doctor we did the work we are no different than the boys storming d-day to go kill nazis and whether they're attacking you on twitter or anything else that's that's what it is is it's is it's a really miserable person and now i don't know how that's addressed yeah, though. yeah I, you know I, I, I kind of I've, I've spoken in kind of derisory terms about it um but you know, you've also got to turn around and say, find your humanity, just catch up with yourself a little bit. What, what's happened there? You know, yeah. Yeah. the person who's been let down by society in a way, um, you could you, to give it a generous kind of slant. The, the education system has not helped to foster critical thinking. It's, it's become very compliance-oriented and uh, full of these 
mimetic kind of uh, messaging rather than um, explanations that facilitate understanding or the potential to generate new explanations and be creative. Um, so you've got a person who's probably been steeped in that kind of world is for whatever reason, not managed to take the leap into the, the, criti the critical thinking domain. Um, as a result, their lives are kind of meaningless, purposelessness um, is probably a sense they wake up with every day and something comes along that they can attach to that seems to give it meaning for a while. You can sympathize, yeah. you know, yeah. the same way that you'd sympathize with somebody who didn't have an education at all, uh, who grew up in a poor place. Mm -hmm. I mean, their understanding of what's been going on in COVID and Ukraine and whatever, yeah. probably zero because it just doesn't enter their daily realm. You know, they've got more pressing issues to deal with and uh, not too phased by whether Nick and Tommy say some interesting things or some boring things on a podcast. Yeah, and and if you and I just sit here and attack them and say, yeah. "Oh, they're just miserable fucking losers," yeah. Well, now we're now we're kind of justifying their anger. Yeah, because yeah. now they go, "Hey, these guys just identified why I am the way I am," and they said I'm a miserable fucking. So now they do have a reason to hate us. So, yeah. so how how do you? How do you deal with that? And I think I think you said it. You have to kind of let your humanity. And instead of saying, you know, oh, they're just miserable and they never stood for anything, and that's why they're pieces of shit, and thus they're pawns for you know the World Economic Forum because they can just be used. Maybe you have to, you have to like. There's like a saying. There's like a some Buddhist quote or something about like helping people wake up, and instead of scolding them like the there's like a wise buddhist monk and he's like standing next to someone who's just you know gossiping about everyone in their neighborhood and he's so and so does this and so and so does that and i never do anything wrong and instead of the monk looking at him and being like maybe you should stop you know pointing at others and instead work on yourself because then they just turn their anger on the monk instead you just sit there and kind of just nod and just let them talk and let them talk. And it's described as throwing a rock down. a. You want to be the well. And they throw a rock down the water well. And they're expecting a splash. Don't give them the splash. Just sit there and let them throw the rock down. Let them throw the next rock down. And eventually they kind of come to that they're just sitting there throwing rocks. And why are they doing this? And... So instead of splashing on them and being like, you're a bunch of fucking losers, all you have is the ability to change your profile picture to a Ukrainian flag, I think instead you just kind of have to act as fertile ground. You have to act as fertile soil for them to grow in. You kind of just have to hear them out and instead of saying they're losers, be like, dude, I get it. I get it. There's a lockdown. Nobody gives a shit about anything. We all feel helpless. And a little thing comes along that gives you a little spark of life. You get to grab onto something and actually feel. And you get to go, fuck these anti-vaxxers. It feels good because everything, in everything else in life is so meaningless and colorless. Why don't you take that and instead let's maybe try to work towards giving life more meaning and color. And how do we <clears> start that? I don't know. Like you said, it's a one-way road to Panda. Maybe we start looking at this and if someone yeah. comes to you and 
you know, you, instead of saying, oh, you're an idiot, you believe the COVID narrative, I think it's much better to maybe say like, hey, dude, I fell for it too. And it sucks. But, yeah. you know, it it's better to, it's like the quote, if you find yourself in a hole, the first thing you do is stop digging. Be like, yeah, it sucks to get tricked. It sucks to believe yeah. the narrative and feel stupid. But, yeah. you know, why don't you come aboard and we can all try to work towards something better. And I don't know. Yeah. The, the interesting thing is I, I, I've spent a lot of time trying to work out how people are going to rationalize having gone along with this. But it doesn't seem to be as difficult as I thought. Um, apparently, you know, this idea that people will experience such severe cognitive dissonance that, they, um, that they'll create these elaborate rationalizations that allow them to continue believing that there was a huge health crisis that warranted shutting down the world economy and killing any number of people, you know, a great deal more than the, than the virus itself sort of thing. And all of that was actually reasonable. It was all orderly and sensible. But what I've noticed is when, when people come to thank me, which happens all the time now, I go out in the street in a restaurant, whatever, somebody comes up to me, they, they actually just say, you know what? It was in that video or in that talk that I realized, oh, hell. Or they tell me that they actually realized that there was, that this was nonsense because of X, Y, Z event. And ever since then, they've been listening to us. Yeah. You know, and, and that's fine. I'm, I'm like completely cool with it. Like I have no, I, I, I sort of, <laughs> The, the person who was with us from the beginning, I mean, they're very interesting to analyze, and we can talk about that for a while. What, are the, what, what am I seeing as the psychological and um, kind of uh, cultural commonalities among the people who saw this thing for what it is right from the beginning? Um, you know, that's one story. But as for the rest, I'm not really too concerned whether you woke up yesterday or two years ago. I don't, you know, yeah. it's fine. It's yeah. fine. We've got a big problem to deal with. All the more hands, the more hands, the better. Yeah. Um, yeah. The problem, by the way, is not COVID. And that's when some eyebrows go up yeah. and you start talking, you know. Yeah. The problem is the system that gives rise to it and how that system is articulated and um, where it comes from, which is a very complex story. You know, people want simple answers. They want to hear that it's Bill Gates. Bill Gates did it, you know. Now Bill Gates was seriously involved that he's, you know, been a disaster to humanity. Yeah, he's a demon. But, but he's just one story, one part of it. And he emerges. He himself emerges from a culture, from a, a value system, from a set of very bad memes, ideas, um, and and he interacts with other sets of bad ideas, and they find common truck with, you know, each other for the time being during COVID, and they cooperate producing more bad cultures and more bad memes, you know, and all of that festering BS is there to be untangled and to, to be looked at. And, and so you ask the question, how do we stop this all from ha happening again? Uh, I, I'm still not a fan of the Nuremberg idea. I mean, maybe for the big ringleaders, sure. Klaus Schwab's and Bill Gates's and Carney's and um, Fauci's of course, and Tedros and, uh, the Trudeaus and Macron and uh, uh, what's her name, Ardern from New Zealand, these people who've, you know, just been so destructive. Maybe there is a Nuremberg process for people like that. 
But I think for the rank and file public health people, I'm not interested in that. I think, uh, you know, in South Africa, we had the Truth and Reconciliation Commission after apartheid. And uh, that was, a, I think, a useful process because it at least allowed people to get answers. You know, what happened to their uncle who disappeared? Um, you know, what, who was it who planted the bomb or assassinated so-and-so? People get answers and it's, there's something in that. And it, it, it provides you sort of the roadmap to learning something about how to spot this and how to reduce the chances of it happening again. But, but yeah, so the Truth and Reconciliation Commission better than Nuremberg for most of the story. But but above all, it's let's not get too tangled on the um, the detailed appropriation of blame. Yeah. Let's solve the institutional problems, which you know are many. You got electoral reform, public health principles, uh, decentralisation of any number of organisations. Um, I think we've got to look at constitutions, uh, and 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 in big ways, uh, you've got to, we've got to seriously think radical thoughts. Like because one of the one of the problems here, the the drift towards centralisation, I think, is partly to do with the increase in the size of the state. The moment the government becomes the biggest customer for all the businesses out there, then their mutual the mutual corruption, yeah. the mutual infiltration of government and large corporations becomes inevitable. And I think the only solution to that is to um, is to actually put some kind of fundamental cap on the size of the state as a proportion of um, of uh, GDP. I shouldn't say the only one because, you know, as I said earlier, there's always a better explanation out there than the one that you've got at any point in time, no matter how well it works. Um, so. But I, but I think that those are the things we have to consider. I, I, I don't believe that there's some laws that you can pass mm. that will allow you to contain a state that is 56% of GDP, as it is in France, I believe, um, and uh, the infiltration of that state by corporations who happen to be, you know, at the large end of the Pareto curve. Um, and uh, so you've got to kind of, yeah, and think about laws and constitution, new constitutional principles. I don't believe you can go to back to those old documents all the time and find the answers. They shouldn't be static. They should be dynamic. Mm. Uh, we get better, We do improve our, our principles for how to govern things. And yes, when you change something, some essential document, it should be with a very high threshold of support and um, an extended period of debate. But we do need to look at those things and dust them off and say, why did they stop working? Yeah. Because um, they really did. They stopped. It. I think you're correct in that, you know, instead of... Actually, now I'm going to pause it. I got to go use the restroom. Thinking about that... Yeah, I'm kind of backpedaling on my own earlier argument. I think the idea of a of a blanket Nuremberg is just as bad as like only Davos and the UN can save us. It's a it's one giant. It's kind of like one universal vaccine. It doesn't work. It, it, there's a lot more nuance. So 
what you said I think is great is, and just like blame, we can't we can't do one central. So just like there can't be a centralized cure for everything, there also can't be a centralized uh, retribution, and there also can't be a centralized blame. Who did it? Bill Gates, Klaus Schwab, the end. Yeah. No, these these guys didn't just. Hitler didn't just wake up one day and go, "I'm killing six million Jews." Schwab didn't just decide I'm taking over the world. It's not whack-a-mole where you just bop it and then it's gone. There's there's a deeper thing that we need to understand. And when you go, yeah, COVID's not even the whole problem. And people go, yeah. what? You have to kind of, exp- we got to get to the base level. What is the base level? That there is a never-ending reach for power by human beings that's just we we all want food we all want sex we all want shelter the sun rises in the east sets in the west the tide comes in the tide goes out and another uh natural law that seems to never go away is that there will always be people who seek a disproportionate aggregation of power and go through any means to get those and Early on, they weren't too good with it. They would just go in with armies and swords and shields and kill everyone. And over the millennia, they got better. And now they know to word it in such a way that they make you think they're doing it for your own good. It's the most evolved form of of power. So I think that's maybe the discussion that has to be had. It's like, sure, Bill Gates is bad. Schwab's bad. But we have to understand what this is. It's... It will never go away. There's always, and no matter what year it is, maybe we're a multi-planetary species in a, in a millennia, or maybe it's the Great Pyramids. There will always be, forces will always arise to seize power. And it's going to come in a million different ways. Maybe it's, yeah. it's ships on the horizon, or it's COVID vaccines, or it's cyber polygon. Yeah, and I think it's it's also important to acknowledge that we're talking about a kind of if we you know if we if we're collapsing the whole world into a, a dichotomy or a spectrum of um, you know between centralization and decentralization, we, 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 the the balancing optimum, if you like, is 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 somewhere in the middle. It's not at the extremes. So I, I'm a fan of Bitcoin and decentralized finance and um, distributed uh, censorship and, uh, you know, um, that those kind of concepts um, for the time being because I believe we need to decentralize relative to where we are right now. We're way off the optimum, way, way, way off the optimum. And so, you know, the solution isn't to impose radical decentralization. That That's as bad an idea as radical centralization. And it's where I'm not saying all libertarians, but many libertarians go wrong. The, I think they, they end up with this conceptualization of the optimal society as constitute, uh, being constituted of these radically atomized individuals. And that's not a good recipe. We need. We are fundamentally social. We do better when we cooperate and engage socially and and build things and create little hierarchies, left, right, and centre. You know, um, making it possible for people with energy or willpower or creativity or 
uh, a good idea uh, or a bad idea even to 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 go and give it a go. Um, we 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 need hierarchy. We need structure. We need we need these things. But um, it's it what's happened here is it's become yeah, the scale of it has become so uh, stratospheric that we are in a position of destroying the means of error correction. So when a new idea comes up and it's a terrible idea, we don't we don't cancel it. <laughs> Ironically. It doesn't get uh, shown up. It's not refuted. Subjective to the criticism that's required to you know, sweep it aside and make way for a, a better explanation, a better idea. And uh, that, that's where we find ourselves right now in, a, in, a, in a, probably the most exaggerated example of uh, centralization that the world has ever seen in terms of its global reach. Um, yeah, it, it it feels like an epic moment. Really, it does, and the the tools are right there to 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 bring the the evil empire down. We've, we've got the we've got the the clever droids on our side, sort of thing. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, but uh, it, it's it's going to be. It's going to be a mammoth undertaking. I, I don't think this 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 war, the Third World War, which is the information war, not something to do with Ukraine. You know? Yeah. Um, this Third World War that we're in, I think it could last beyond our lifetimes. Yeah, it well, it seems to be the final war. Seems no, there's no such thing. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, all right, yeah, that was a that was a narrow-minded thing to say. I mean. Yeah. But it's unimaginable, but at the moment, that's fine. It's unimaginable, but that's because we lack imagination. You know? sure. <laughs> given given new technologies and new ideas, we'll have plenty we'll of imagination. We'll always yeah. find a way to bring hell to Earth. Yeah, we'll find another one. Yeah. That's what we yeah. do as humans. We bring hell to Earth. But, but no, guess, no, you see, that's it. I, I, sorry, well, I mean, in terms, of, I, in, term, in terms of war, in terms of war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but also always beauty. and Yeah. yeah we're the only creative force in the universe. So my thoughts on like the final war, which is an erroneous term, is that it seems like, and I could be wrong, it seems like for the first time, instead of it being a nation against another or an alliance of nations against another, the allies versus the Axis, for the first time, it seems like it's instead of this horizontal nation versus nation, it's this top down, all nations versus it's the elite of all nations versus the people of all nations. That's yes, what I mean. Class, by, this is a class battle, yeah. Which seems very different than like the first two world wars. You know what I mean? Okay. That's what I yeah, mean yeah, by yeah. last. That's what I mean by last war. It seems like it's the yeah. yeah. So let's let's talk about that a little because one of the tricks that they that, that I think is quite an extended trick is to convince people that there is this political spectrum of left and right. Yeah. I see no substance to that. There's no kind of coherent assessment that I can use to categorize people as left or right. Um, 
And when you think about it, you think, oh, well, yeah, okay. No, Aaron, if you're going to make a dichotomy, let's talk about the specific dichotomies. What what, what are the actual opposites? Because left and right, well, that's just sides of a physical object, you know. Um, doesn't make really, it doesn't really draw straight. And, and, and uh, it's not good enough to say, well, it's just a convention. You know, we talk about um, those type, those people who are progressive, you know, they're, they're on the left and everybody else is on the right. No, that's also not good enough, you know. So the, the, what this exposes is that there's a tension between uh, liberalism and authoritarianism and uh, that the labelling of our political polls has gone completely wonky because there's nothing left of liberalism on the left, nothing. There, if you pick up John, John Stuart Mills and um, try and draw a line between the, the classically described liberalism and, and what is going on right now, Amongst the Democrats who would mask every child from from inception to death um, and uh, jab everybody in sight, no matter how immune they were, um, and you know do all sorts of radically authoritarian things. Well, they've abandoned liberalism long ago, and yeah. it doesn't help to be you know, shaking your head and saying, "Ah, oh, but the greater good, the greater good." I mean, that's also just a, a you know an excuse. Um, so we, we've got we've got to talk about that those those concepts and try and see if we can't restore some coherence to to political discussion because left and right ain't going to do it. I, I, I call people out all the time when they use these phrases. I say just it's meaningless. You you actually you're actually part of the psychosis population if you're using those terms. Yeah, you've been taught this. You've been coached in a way that maximizes division. You're part of the problem. I don't care if you're on the left or the right. If you're using the term, if you're seeing the other party is on the other hand, then you are part of the problem. So don't. Just stop it. Let's understand. Let's start actually thinking and understanding what it is that we are fundamentally disagreeing with. Um, and and or, or, I think in, in shining some light on it will help and people will realize, well, we don't disagree on that. We don't, you know. So the, the, the term progressive is another one. You know, I don't know a whole lot of people in my life. I know people from all sides of the political spectrum. I've lived in whatever it is, 12 international cities from, you know, from Texas to Geneva. To, sorry, I'm living in Geneva, Zurich, to uh, Cape Town. You know, very different places. I, I've seen it all. I've got friends from um, many walks of life and backgrounds. I don't know anybody who doesn't want progress. I've <laughs> never met such a thing, you know. What, somebody who wants to go backwards and live in a cave? I don't know. No. Yeah. Somebody who wants to, you know, who thinks it's much better if we throw homosexuals off buildings and we should st stop actually tolerating them. Yeah, I know there are places where they do throw them off buildings and that's what they've always done. Um, but I, I, I just, the idea that there are such people, such anti-progressives out there is, it's like a conspiracy theory. Yeah. A real conspiracy theory, yeah. you know. I, I, I mean, I, I've been, I've stayed, I've spent time in the most, in inverted commas, conservative places in Texas, because that's another term that I think needs to be scrutinized properly and replaced with a better one. And I just saw nice people, really nice people. Yeah. And I spent time in Hell's Kitchen in New York, which isn't likely to. Republican anytime soon. 
Well, maybe maybe they're giving it a good go now. But um, I just find nice people, people who want a better world. Yeah. Um, so progressive sucks, left right sucks. Conservative liberal is a completely false dichotomy. It's confusing too completely. Um, we we got to stop. You know, the, 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 these things are actually harming us. The, those false polarities. They're, they're used, I believe, by powerful people to sow division and in, in so doing, taking the eye of the common man off the real problem, which is them, the, 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 you know, the, the elites, the, the, the establishment, the, the people with the levers of power in their hands. Um, we, need, we need to get a bit more, um, we need to muscle up to the idea that we have to replace a lot of our vocabulary and um, think about the world in different ways in order to find agreement to find uh, the, a coherent force with which to take on this apparently monolithic story. It makes me think, uh, yeah, you're never going to find any, I mean, I've lived in urban areas and rural areas in the North and the South. The vast majority of people in any one place are good people who will happily help you out who want to be shown the same respect that you show them or vice versa. Every once in a while, yeah, you do find someone who, yeah, they probably are actually, they want to go backwards, right? Like a Ted Kaczynski. And it's like, well, fuck that guy. Put him in jail. He's sending bombs to people. That's no good, right? You do come Mm. across a Saudi Arabia where they're throwing gays off roofs. And it's like, there's, you can't really, there's no negotiation there. Fuck them. But (laughs) the idea, I know, I think you're right. It's, it's, when you look at the differences between quote unquote left and right people, it's, it's like the differences in humans. Like if you took the whole genome of all of us and sure Mm. at first glance, you could find very different people. You could find a, a tall buff black man and you could find a Mm. short, tiny, skinny white girl. And it's like Mm. opposite ends of the spectrum. But that's just the phenotype. If you look at the genotype, we're like 99.98% identical. And if we, yeah. get, if we get lost in that 0.02%, that's, that's retarded. Excuse me. The reality, yeah. yeah the reality is. Very much, is, yeah. Very much agree with you, Tommy. I, I, I actually take that quite far in the domain of intelligence. Uh, you know, no, for me, it, the human brain is the universal computer and, and give or take a few pathological corner cases, we, we, we have equally capable, in, indefinitely capable brains. Yeah. So I don't subscribe to ideas of innate intelligence differing across Absolutely. the human race. Absolutely. Um, and I object to concepts like IQ. That's, yeah, um, it's all the smartest guy I know. Is a is a black guy from Africa who smoked my ass on the MCAT in every class we took in college, and I had racist friends, and I'd be like, "You guys, they always call me smart." And I was like, "This yeah. guy schooled me upside down and backwards." But yeah, that's that's, that's not it's not really the the point I'm I'm getting at. The point is is our similarities are so overwhelming that even as people, I, you take the most. Right. You go take someone from downtown San Francisco and you take someone from a ranch in Texas. 
we can zoom in on the very fringe things that they are very different about. But everything else, we all want a safe home, a safe neighborhood, respectful neighbors. We all want clean water. We all want fresh food. You want schools to send your kids. You don't want invading armies coming over the borders. You want to have a fun weekend. You want to be able to toss back a glass of wine. You want to enjoy your holidays, go to your respective places of worship. It is so overwhelmingly identical that you can only imagine If someone wanted to control everyone, what you would do is amplify that one tiny little piece that's different. You think I should be able to smoke pot? I don't think you should. It's a a sliver of a sliver on a pie chart. And Tommy, I'm going to ask you a question you've never been asked in your podcast. Who died and made you John Lennon? Who died and made me John Lennon? Yeah, I've never I been mean, asked that. Imagine, you know, you're on you're on the imagined trajectory where you know all the people living life in peace. Because yeah. um, I, 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 the reason I'm I'm switching to devil's advocate here because I, sure. I basically agree with what you're saying that that a lot of the the differences that we're waging pitched battles over are trivial irrelevancies, you know, yeah. and that's part of the game, the designed to divide and conquer kind of story. Mm-hmm. So I'm with you. I agree with you, but. There's, you know, dispute and uh, and uh, engagement um, is again. Let's let's maybe see those as positions on a spectrum where we want to optimize. We you want like an elements of an element of violence almost. You know, yeah. complete complete passivity is not the optimum. Uh, so, so too with uh, you know. Uh, the safety culture. No, you want an element of risk. Yeah. Uh, you, you want to actually have quite a bit of risk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so we kind of keep on hurting ourselves into these corners. Uh, they want no, nobody is safe until everybody is safe with respect to one risk, one risk, the COVID. Otherwise you can be as unsafe as you like. Yeah. No income, Children stunted by repeated mask wearing at school, uh, stuffing yourself for pharmaceuticals that nobody has a bloody clue about what they actually do in the face of the complex human body. Um, you know, following the advice of public health people to do no exercise, stay indoors, and and be terribly afraid for months on end. Uh, yeah, well, no, uh, I mean this comes from a failure to to have. The right amount of thumos. That's in my uh, thumos, a word that's in my um, Twitter bio, whatever you call it, profile, right. Twitter I saw profile. That last night, I was like, "The hell is that?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great concept. You know, it's it's what's lacking at the moment. Again, it's not something you want too much of. Spiritedness. Spiritedness is the best word for it. Ancient Greek construct. Alexander the Great had uh, too much thumos. You know. Yeah. Um, the the idea is that you 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 want a little bit of that. Uh, Kind of rush of blood, yeah. The 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 inclination towards action, yeah. Um, Rashness. Uh, You want some of that in the world, and I I, I see this in business all the time. You know, people think, ah, you know, in the academic world, they can go and we're going to have to do another paper on that before we know. we will we'll go and do further research is required. When you're in a board meeting and you have to make a decision. 
it, further research is required is simply not an answer. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's just not going to crack it. So you do what you can. The world's complicated, and then you have to make a decision. And there's some discipline around that, like, yeah, well, okay, but but you know what? If your company is such that having made the decision, you feel that it's then your lifelong obligation to defend that decision and to 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 rationalize a way of explaining why it was the perfect decision at the time. If that's where you live, your company is not going to survive very long at all. You kind of want to position yourself um, from a, a position of epistemological humility where you 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 you're going to test lots of ideas. You're going to do your best under the circumstances. You're going to keep your eyes open for how many of those ideas are wrong. When you see one that's wrong, you're going to try and uh, kill it as quickly as possible before too much damage is done. And mindful of the fact that that damage could always be done, you're going to make the changes on the margin and a sensible size, and not such that you bet the whole ranch. Think about that kind of pragmatic. A realistic, humble approach to navigating complexity and compare it to locking down the whole world all at the same time using the same policies and squeezing everybody behind the same ridiculous masks and jabbing them with the same new experimental gene therapy. Crazy. We've lost our minds. Everything that's sensible has been thrown out and we're trying to do things which I would say should be you know, just ruled out in first-year textbooks of any number of subjects. Forget public health. But just anything that you teach a kid about the world, a young university student, age 18, should be, you know, in, in every subject's textbook should be a bunch of principles that make it immediately obvious to them that lockdown and mask mandate and vaccine mandate are all just crap ideas. that they, they, they get out the starting blocks, let alone make their way into the bulk of society's minds. What I like about the idea of that, what gets the blood flowing is like, I think about in college when I was pre-med and to me, like I wanted to be a doctor, but it was also driven by fear. And I was like, if I just study all the time, I can be a doctor. I'll always have a job. I'll have a well-paying job, but I don't need to worry about anything else. doesn't matter if I'm not terribly happy. I'll have an income. I'll be respected, blah, blah, blah. And that was, it, it was very it was very calming and knowing that there's this, there's this path. I don't, you know, there's a, you got to take this class this semester, this class next semester. You just got to be the best of the best, but there was no deviation. There was no, there was no taking a risk. And then I look at like going off and, and trying to be my own boss, which started in like 2015 and it was just failure after failure after failure. And because I was taking too big a risks, I was going too fast and too loose. And finally in 2019, I kind of like brought it down to like a happy medium where I had the repetition of being pre-med and studying every day, which was doing a podcast every day. But there was also that sort of loose unknown of what guests am I going to get on? What are we going to talk about? You got to take a risk. It's 
you know, everyone saying you should you should edit it and have graphics and sound. And part of me is like, no, half the fun is that we're just swearing and talking about whatever. And you've got a glass of wine and we're jumping from World Economic Forum to fucking apartheid in Madagascar. And you have to take that risk. And no one else is doing something like that. You need to be more produced. And it's it's terrifying. And then you get banned from YouTube and it's but then there's like a measured risk there going, I can get banned from YouTube and lose most of my audience or I can and I can gain the integrity of having on guys like Dr. Malone and Dr. McCullough. And there's this risk and there's an ongoing risk. I still don't know if this is going to work. This is episode 729. But it gets the blood flowing and there's a huge risk. But where there's risk, you can seize reward. And now I'm 31. I'm my own boss. I wake up every day. 15 minutes before noon. That's my wake up time because I'm my own boss. I go to the gym, I meditate, and I do a podcast with a guest of my choosing. We talk about whatever we want. We talk however the fuck we want. We edit out what we want. Maybe it's 10 minutes, maybe it's three hours. And I can do another one tomorrow or I can take a week off and I get to do whatever I want. I have no boss, but I did not get here by playing very safe. And that is, I mean, if the purpose of being safe is to save one life, well, there's no point in saving lives if the life you're living isn't worth living. The fear and risk that in a year, my podcast might be huge and I'll be a millionaire. In a year, I might be broken living on a friend's couch. That is better than any drug. And I think that's maybe my own interpretation of Thumos is... We cannot play this safety game. There's a happy medium, but man, you gotta, you gotta live. Elon Musk wouldn't have self-landing rockets if he just played it safe. You know, it's, that is, and I think that has to apply to all areas of life. We, we can't play this yeah. safety game. It has to be, it has to be terrifying at times. Or at the very yeah. least, you have to be free to go live a terrifying life and you have to be free to, if you would like, you can live a very safe life, but you shouldn't have to do one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. I like that kind of thinking. And you know, you, you would think that with increasing prosperity for such a long period of time globally, but particularly in the West, the, the idea of giving young people, an opportunity to try something, an opportunity to be independent, to start a business, some kind of initiative, would would have ta- ob- obtained more traction instead of shoving them into corporation or a, a, a profession. Um, I, I really look at my children and I look at the universities around me, what comes out of the universities in America where they might aspire to go. Um, and I look at it and I say, I don't think much lies for them there. I really do believe that if they're sufficiently curious about the world, the information is there, the learning is there, the lectures are online, the books are cheaply available. Um, but the, the lessons of success and failure in a commercial venture are so profound and so difficult to teach. It's not something you can give somebody a textbook and say, look, go and do this. You actually have to go through it all because it's kind of, 
fine-tuning a complex system within a complex system, yeah. your mind within a, within a society sort of thing. Yeah. And, and you learn. I, I was talking about it at lunch or just before lunch today. We were sitting, my, partner, my business partner and I, I'm, I'm a private equity investor. We were talking to a banker who we have a, a lot of time for, a person who lends us money. Um, and, you know, I just said to him, the best, the best lesson in private equity is uh, when you lose some money. Oh, yeah. The first, the first deal that you, you've lost money and you, you hope, you know, that you're lucky enough that you didn't bet the ranch on it, um, that you can walk away and have another go at the game. But the lessons you learn in that process, you will never forget. There might not be sufficient lessons to uh, put you in a position of not losing money ever again. You probably need a reminder every five or seven years. Um, if you have one every year, you're going to like stop that. playing the game very quickly. <laughs> yeah. But um, it, it's uh, it's kind of yeah. We 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 really need to rather think about encouraging young people into independence as quickly as possible. I like that. What you describe that you're your own boss. Yeah, your own boss is a bloody hard taskmaster. There's nobody. It's the opposite of slavery. In slavery, you're assured a good meal every day, <laughs> yeah. even if the work is is not particularly uh, exciting, and living the rest of your kind of hierarchy of needs is not very well attended to. You get the square meal, but if you're if you're out independent in the world and and uh, not subject to a great many controls by people in some particular hierarchy, there's no guaranteed meal. I know. Maybe. Yeah. So can we, can we kind of like push, t- eliminate some of the tail risk of entrepreneurship for young people so they can be serial entrepreneurs? And I don't mean this kind of fake dot-com-ish stuff where they come, I'm going to do pets.com and see if I can get anybody to invest $100 million in my company until we all realize that it was a complete flaky idea and, Nobody had really any clue how to test it. Not, not something like that, but, um, you know, just opportunities to kind of be educated in, in the real world. Um, um, something like that. Um, I don't know. I love, I love these ideas. I love thinking about them. Uh, um, it's generalist that I am. I think that... Let me think. For me, it's, I mean, it almost starts at like, it's going to be hard to explain, but it almost starts at like the parameters. So like what, like before we start recording, what I said to Mr. Hudson was like, hey, I cleared three hours for this podcast. We don't have to use all of it. But we can, we have that time. So to yeah. me, it was like when I finished medical or when I finished college, I got, I was really kind of thinking about the fact that I'm going to die one day. Not long after yeah. I graduated college, I lost a brother to suicide. So I had a very big existential midlife crisis at 23. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that was the boundaries. I was like, I'm alive today. Mm-hmm. One day I will not be. Okay, check. Now something mm-hmm. happens in there. I can't just go out and start having nothing but fun. Because that's what I did for about two years after my brother died. I was like, it's over. Life is over tomorrow. I gained like 70 pounds. I was drinking. I was doing pills. I was smoking pot. I was just doing every drug I could get my hands on, and it was miserable. All right? College was nothing but work, playing it safe. 
And you eventually kind of come to this synthesis of the two where at the back of your mind, you still know you're going to die one day. But you also know that you can't just play it safe all the time. And so if you want to go out and embark on something, when I decided I want to go be my own boss, I didn't even know what I wanted to. It wasn't like I had a brilliant idea and I drop out of Harvard to go. I didn't even I'm an idiot. I didn't even know what I wanted to do but I just wanted to be my own boss. And so what I did was I just, I was like, what am I most passionate about? At the time it was writing. So I just tried that and I failed and failed and failed and failed. And eventually, like you said, if you're losing money every year, eventually you fail so much that you go, all right, maybe I'm not learning lessons. Maybe this just isn't a, isn't an avenue. And then I tried graphic design. I taught myself graphic design for two or three years. Got really good at it. I didn't take any lessons. I didn't take any courses because I just wanted my own organic wild shit. That didn't work out. And then the podcast and it kind of started to work out. But what I what I think I'm trying to get at is, is there truly is, it, it's a catch 22. I don't, I don't think there's any roadmap you can give to anyone. I would say that at its most base form, you have to choose something you love, wildly passionate about. Yeah. You have to work harder than anything you've ever worked at in your life. Number three, you have to be repetitive. And number four, whenever you get to the point where you start to think this isn't going to work and I should just go get a normal job, remember that you're just going to die. And I know that <laughs> sounds bleak, but if you mm. if you – you can never go back to normal if you are acutely aware of the fact that you're going to die. You're going to die. It's going to, not other people, you, you, Nick Hudson, you, Tommy Kerrigan, mm. you will one day be nothing but a fading gravestone on a, in a graveyard off the side of some highway. And when you have that realization and feel it in your bones, that, that finality erases everything else. And you just keep working. And when you do that, you do break through. And to me, what really helped was during like the seven years of trying to become my own boss and just failing and failing and failing and failing and failing and failing, was I would go back and I'd find lectures from like Steve Jobs or Elon Musk. And then I would go back like 20 years and I'd find a younger version of them. And you go, hey, that motherfucker's like me. You hear Steve Jobs <laughs> going, man, I used to stay on friends' futons. I'd collect beer cans and turn it in for change. And I would go to class just because I, I thought like, he's like, I just thought like the calligraphy class was cool. I don't know how that was going to apply to computers, but that eventually led to us making our own font system. And you go, oh, you go, I'm that psychopath. Now, what's the difference? They just kept at it forever. So I know that's not really an answer, but I would say yeah. realize you're going to die, mm -hmm. find a passion, and just needle away at it until one day when you least expect it, yeah. it, just, it just breaks through. That's the best yeah, answer I have. It's interesting, it's interesting hearing that story played back to me. Um, it's, it's not really the path that I took in life. Um, 
and I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm kind of a strange blend of unaspirational and and very intense in a sense. Um, when I say unaspirational, I don't want to plane or a yacht. I kind of, I don't like shopping. Uh, yeah. um, there's not there's not a bunch of stuff. I must be the most impossible person to buy. Pre- I am I'm an impossible person to buy presents for. Um, and uh, well, presents that I'm going to do anything other than pretend to like. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I, I have a full life, a rich life. Um, there's always there's always something that for me that one of the huge values is being able to um, to branch off to to go down that rabbit hole to 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 study something that you hadn't encountered before. Then you know, that moment of going, oh, that's interesting, <laughs> and then you change the plan and you're suddenly somewhere else. So I haven't been in that mold that you describe of single-mindedness and relentless pursuit. Um, I've been very committed and and engaged uh, all my life, but it wasn't with any clear trajectory or or strategy. I I, I even go so far as to say that grand strategies are uh, um, a bit like lockdowns. They're They're bad ideas. They're completely flawed. Yeah. Yeah, So you kind of want to – and also sometimes – uh, how does, the, the, the idea, the idea that actually makes it interesting or gives you the next step or the, the next exciting opportunity is something that comes to you in the most unexpected way, mm-hmm. uh, a happenstance, uh, something quite idle or, or, or gratuitous or, or profligate or, uh, uh, hedonistic. Um, you, you know, you, you, you went out for that uh, meeting with some peripheral colleague or friend that hasn't really got a commercial or or, or ethical or moral uh, justification. It just felt good at the time, and then you had the, the the fourth scotch that you shouldn't have had when you probably shouldn't have had the second. Um, <laughs> and uh, and all of a sudden, at that discussion, uh, there's an idea, you know. Um, and so I, I kind of I, I've had a much more muddling approach. Uh, defined by a persistent, niggling, uh, irritating curiosity. Yeah. Um, and I, I look at my children. One thing I want to give them, I don't, I don't really care if they get an A for math or a C for math, as long as at the end of whatever it is, when they decide that dad's completely useless and I need to get out of here, um, I, I want them to leave with curiosity. Yeah. I really believe that such a and 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 a sense that that don't be afraid, you know, just go and try things. Don't worry too much about whether you're rich now or poor now or, or uh, how you stack up versus everybody else. Just if that flame of curiosity is alive, you'll you'll be you'll be rich in some way um, at all points, you know. Um, so that's kind of it. But my goodness, we, we know nothing about curiosity or creativity. We, we can't algorithm it. We can't put it in a computer. That's why I think AI is a misnomer. Um, until you can program creativity, there is no such thing as artificial intelligence. It's all just automation. Um, and then we fool ourselves in a lot of ways by imagining that these computers are actually clever in some fashion. Um, so it, it's, or, or a better way of putting it, that the programs are clever. You know, they're not. 
they're, they're, they're just uh, automatons like a bow and arrow is. Um, so, yeah, uh, that, that, that's the fascination. You know, there, there's a nice thing to be curious about. The, 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 be curious about the uh, a theory or explanation for curiosity. Um, there we go. That's something you can think about your whole life and you'll, ne- you know? you'll never. Uh, yeah. I but just, the, just that kind of energy for me is, um, yeah, it's, it's what would put the twinkle in, 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 in enough eyes. Instead of this highly systematized, yeah, we're going to do a utilitarian calculus on how the world should be run. No, no, you're not. I, I think, I think what you said, I think it perfectly illustrates my point as well. Is we just talked yeah. about our highly different paths and approaches to life. I don't think that anyone, true going out and becoming your own boss, true curiosity. There is no roadmap for it. Ours are completely yeah. different. I was like, work yeah. hard every day at one thing. And you were like, follow curiosity. Wildly different mm. approaches. But yeah. they both got us to where we wanted to be. So again, yeah. I think to boil it down even simpler, it would be remind yourself every I remind, I remind myself every day. It's one of the things I that when I meditate, one of the things I focus on is that today is the last day I will ever be alive. If I wake up tomorrow, hey, cool. But I convince myself every day, this really is the last day. And because of that, everything else follows. Everything else follows. If you can just create the four forces in the universe, gravitational, electrostatic, weak nuclear, strong nuclear, the rest of the universe will form all the way down to Tommy and Nick doing a podcast. So with, with, with that, I would say, and yeah, what you said about risk and stuff, the moment I realized I wasn't happy and I wanted, I didn't want to go to medical school, that most profound moment was the day after I graduated college. I had barely smoked pot and one of my friends asked me if I wanted to go eat some psychedelic mushrooms. And I went, I'd always been scared of it, but I just went, yeah, let's do it. And in that, mm-hmm. sitting there in a field meditating, looking at like a lake is when I realized mm-hmm. that I can do whatever I want with my life. No, no, it wasn't talking to Steve Jobs or Elon Musk. It was eating some mushrooms and sitting in a field in North Georgia. And that has, that was the route that led me to this point right now. So I would say to truly go out and become your own boss, I would disregard every piece of advice I've given this podcast. I would disregard every piece of advice you've given and I would go make it yourself and you'll find the best thing ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the great plea to independence. That's the part of us was meant to be about panda, but it ended up being about independence. I think if that's the overarching theme, yeah, and probably a good, good play, good place to end it. Although I would point out that that we managed to start off talking about the parochial thing like an organization, and end up talking about particle physics at some point. There, you know, you you did you did pull that trick on me. We did. Hey, it's a it'll it'll catch up on you. People think we're going to stay on a topic, and next thing you know, we're talking about drinking too much scotch and particle physics and and psilocybin. But that's what I yeah. would, that's what I would say. Nothing would, wrong with it. Tommy. Nothing wrong with it. I would say take nobody's advice. Go out. If you yeah. want it, you'll get it. That's if you want it, you'll get it. And well, and I'll throw in one last idea. Sure. Take that person who gets up and works hard every day, and throw them into a team of 
with somebody who who follows the curiosity and that's a good combo. Oh, that, that's, um, that's a lethal operation. Yeah. Diversity, multidisciplinary, multidisciplinary teams. That's kind of what Panda has been about to go back to the organization, set this thing up so that there are people who think in different ways and then put them in a room and get them to discuss complex problems um, with high levels of motivation. What's the level of motivation? Yeah, we want to end, end the, dis- the destruction of this, the fabric of society and permit the possibility of our children growing up with the freedoms and potentials that we enjoyed, you know. Um, so good place to end. Back where we started talking about Panda. Fuck yeah. As always, Mr. Hudson, total blast. That was fun. Great, great, great pleasure, Tommy. Thank you very much. We're gonna we're gonna do it again. Next time I'll I'll make sure to get some beer and uh we'll go yeah, deep. Yeah, yeah. We'll go you, can't, deep. you can't you can't you can't have me talking it's because it's ten it's ten forty five now. Oh yeah. I forgot. I'm, I'm climb I'm climbing Table Mountain in seven hours time. Oh, uh, Jesus so. God, why? What is wrong with you? Why would you Oh no. Oh no! I gotta keep the pounds off. I know, I know, I know. But no, and also, have you, I mean, you want to see how beautiful that place is. Yeah, hell yeah, Mister Hudson. Yeah. We'll do it again. We'll schedule it, yeah. and uh, we'll both have some beers, and we'll come up with some brilliant or some stupid ideas. But uh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure talking to you, man. I, I appreciate your mind. You have a beautiful mind. And uh, as always, last time, everybody, I'll put in the description the links to Panda, to your social media, all that good stuff. And um, thanks, brother. Send you the, send you an email and this one's up. Cheers, Cheers. buddy. Go Thanks, everybody. Peace.